everybody. This is Terrell Cummings, and this is episode eight of the Always Relevant Podcast. Glad everybody's here. Glad everybody's listening. I'm glad I'm here. My voice sounds halfway decent, finally. Um, I have a feeling I still might cough throughout this episode, but if so, I apologize up front. But, um, you know, today's going to be an interesting day. It should be good. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I'm actually on site at my parents' house on the south side of Dayton, Ohio, in West Carrollton. So um, this is where I'll be recording today. I'm actually recording Saturday morning uh, because I wanted to uh, have an interview with my mother. Um, you know, overall in life, she's been, as we can say, she, I've looked up to her. I admire her. And I think she's a very strong individual and she's a very good role model and uh, someone that is, uh, is a leader. Um, she shows how to be a leader. She shows how to never give up. She shows how, no, shows how to have perseverance through whatever obstacles life throws at you. And, um, um, I'm proud to say she's my mom, uh, Carrie Cummings, she will be on today. She's not on yet, but she will be in a little bit. Um, so that's that's going to be um, one segment I'm looking forward to. Um, also, we'll be talking about um, Penn State quarterback Sean Clifford. He's getting death threats. It was a couple weeks back, but he's still getting death threats after Penn State lost to Minnesota a couple weeks ago uh, from fans. And, you know, we're just going to talk about how fans are crazy. Also, talk about, once again, being fans being crazy. An Alabama fan is charged with murder after shooting an LSU fan. Um, it's kind of interesting how that all went, but it should never come to that. It's only sports. It's not life. But some people, like I said, are crazy. And then lastly, uh, this is more for uh, the Southwest Ohio people that are listening. It looks like GM will be opening a new facility in Brookville. And uh, we'll get into that, but GM, the GM facility when I was growing up in West Carolina was always a staple in town. A lot of my friends, parents, and family had jobs there for years, and, you know, it's just, uh, I just thought it was an interesting fun fact. So, um, yeah, we'll get into it, and uh, we'll see what's good. So, enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. This is, uh, like I said, Terrell Cummins, episode eight of Always Relevant Podcast. Glad everybody's here. Um, I just want to get into everything. Uh, obviously, I want to talk about my sports weekend, but before I do that, as always, I'm going to ask myself this question. And I typically ask people on the show, you know, I'm not going to ask my mom the question today for whatever reason, but I'm not going to. But I'm going to answer myself, how are you and how are you really? You know, overall, I'm good. I'm doing all right. And that's really how I am right now. You know, I'm, I'm doing all right. Uh, family's in town, so it's good seeing family. Uh, my wife's twin sister's in town, Kayla, so, you know, it's always good seeing her come up. Um, obviously, next week's going to be Thanksgiving, so my brother and his wife will be coming up, so it'll be good seeing him, and, or seeing them, excuse me, and obviously, playing Thanksgiving, talking to my parents about what the menu is going to be for Thanksgiving. So, for us, you know, I'm getting off track a little bit with how am I really, but you know, just thinking about seeing family and everything and, and it's good. Kids are finally, um, finally getting over being sick. Copeland says a little bit of cold, but that's all right. Um, but that's, uh, I'm, I'm good with that. And I'm starting to feel better myself. And, um, luckily Kayla's been down to help us out a little bit. So I've been able to get a little more sleep because I've been had to wake up with Copeland every night this week. So that's good. Um, overall though, like I said, Talking to my parents, thinking about uh, this menu for Thanksgiving. 
Um, they're gonna be, it's gonna be at their house, so they're gonna be cooking the, the meal or cooking the meal overall. I will be picking up a honey baked ham and I guess some honey baked turkey. That's kind of what we do, it's kind of the tradition for Thanksgiving that we have. Um, I think we're gonna go to the traditional menu for us um, dressing, cranberry sauce. Uh, my mom always makes sure giblet gravy that her and my dad are the ones that eat. My brother and I never touch it. Um, Elena likes the um, the sweet potato casserole, so they're having some of that. I'm gonna have some corn casserole. They're gonna have some green bean casserole and deviled eggs. And what I'm missing? There's something I'm missing. I'm not sure. I'll think of it as a dessert. I just said one of three things: whether it's cheesecake. Um, pound cake, which is my favorite, but I know it's more work to do. Cheesecake is a lot easier to make or apple pie, which you can get from the store. Those are my requests. Everybody usually likes them for drinks. For me, I'll probably say sweet tea or lemonade or Kool-Aid. That's where I'm at. Um, I'm trying to think if I thought if I forgot anything else, I don't think I did, but, um, that's what I look forward to for Thanksgiving. That's our traditional menu. Christmas will change it up. I'm sure we'll talk about that too when the time comes, but as of right now, that's how I am. That's how I am really. I'm doing all right. I'm doing well. Family's around. It's good seeing everybody. I did sign Caden up for, for basketball, so I'm excited to see his face once he actually starts it. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting. So I'm looking forward to that as well. It was always good when he's having fun and he's playing sports because he, he loves sports as much as or more than Elena and myself. So it's awesome to see. We uh, went to his parent-teacher conference for the first time with his teachers, and everything's going well with him. Um, he's come along just fine, and he's at or ahead of where he needs to be so far. So I'm glad about that. He's a super smart kid. He picks up on things quickly, and he's very respectful of his teachers and adults, and he's a great kid, and I'm glad that he is turning out into the young man that he is. and. I'm happy to see it. So I'm not completely failing as a parent. And that's kind of crazy to think about. But it's also kind of cool. And I'm sure my parents are halfway happy with the job they've done with me. I'm sure they question themselves. So, you know, throughout life sometimes with me, because I'm sure I was a little bit difficult at times. But I've made it. And now I have my own little people to worry about and to try to mold into good human beings. And I think so far we're on the right track. And I'm very thankful for it. Getting into my sports weekend, um, last week in the Bell game, Hanover College beat Franklin 27-21. I was glad glad for it. It's the second time in the last couple of years. It's only, it's they had lost previous, like I said last week, the previous, I think, 16 or 17 years, something like that. So I'm glad they won the last two. They already, they already had already claimed the championship, the HCAC championship already. They already had a berth in the playoffs, and they found out this week that they were playing um, the number two seed overall, Mountain Union at Mountain Union. So I'm looking forward to seeing what happens because Hanover, they basically rolled through the whole conference and they had the number one offense, number one defense. And Mountain Union, they're always good every year, year in, year out. They're playing at Mountain Union. It's a tough place to play. They have all, they definitely have an All-American receiver. That That is great. And, um, you know, the boys are going to have to go up there and hunker down and play a little bit. So, um, hope they step up to the challenge. Hope they're ready to play. I'm looking forward to watching them online as I do play. And I wish them luck. Go HC. Panther Pride here from south side of Dayton, Ohio. And have a day, boys. As always, have a day. 
Um, Michigan football beat Michigan State 44 to 10. That's pretty easy route. Um, they're looking better and better as the weeks go on. I still don't know if they're ready for Ohio State. That's going to be a tough one, but today they have Indiana, and Indiana's no slouch. They're not the Indiana of old. They can put up points. They have pass-happy offense. They have a pretty – I believe they still have a pretty mobile quarterback, even though one of them is hurt, so that can make a big difference. But um, I think Michigan should win, but you never know. So um, after I leave here making this recording, I'm going to meet some friends to watch the Ohio State game because they play Penn State, and I'll also be watching the Michigan game after that. So – It'll be interesting. It'll be good. It'll be fun. And I'm looking forward to it. The Bengals, they are still being the Bengals. They lost the Raiders 17 to 10. That's unfortunate, but it just kind of is what it is. They have a lot of injuries. They're, they look better. They run the ball a little bit with Joe Mixon getting the ball in his hands. And that's going to be, I think that's going to be their best bet is to get the ball in his hands as much as possible and try to take as much pressure off of Ryan Finley as possible. Um, We'll see how it goes. Like I said, I know there's some injuries. Adrian Green's not coming back this week. I don't think he's, I don't think he's gonna come back for the rest of the year. You know, it is important for him because it is a contract year, I believe, for him, or it will be. So um, that'll be interesting. But you know, right now, I think they're just trying to compete to see if they're gonna be the number one draft pick in the NFL draft or not. So we will see. Um, what else? Michigan basketball. They beat four zero. I mean, they beat Houston Baptist. They if it playing Houston Baptist, they should roll Houston Baptist and they did 111 to 68. But John Howard still getting his feet wet and everything as coach. So I'm looking forward to see what he does. Um I'm actually thinking about going to the game in a couple weeks when they play Louisville at Louisville. Um Louisville's ranked number two in the country. Chris Mack, former coach at Xavier, is their coach. He's a great coach. Last year I think he got ahead of schedule as far as how good they were. I think they're they're gonna be even better this year. And it'll be a real test for Michigan to see where they stand legitimately, you know, against top talent. Or they're going to see a top, top tier talent this, that week when they play Louisville. So it'd be cool game to take family to. They'd be a good time and it's not too far away. So we'll see what's good on that. And obviously University of Dayton basketball, they're 3-0. I think they just made it out to Hawaii for their typical, for their uh, annual tournament they play in out there uh, this season. So uh, to all my friends traveling out there for that, have fun, enjoy the weather, enjoy the vacation, and um, I look forward to seeing lots of wins from UD, as always. Um, my son, Caden, went to his uh, second UD basketball game with my dad last week. He had a great time. They've updated the arena, so they had a lot of cool nuances there that are very uh, family-friendly overall, and I think it's just good for the program. Um, they do have one of the, the better arenas that I've seen for college campuses and um they should be proud of it and i like the upgrades you know tickets went up season tickets went up in price a little bit and they told everybody why they're going up in price and everybody's kind of seeing you know the the benefits of them paying the extra for their season tickets it's coming along very nicely and you know i'm glad school is doing it um lastly my fantasy football teams um in fanduel i was last place this week um, for the week and overall I dropped to third place in the standing. So this week I really need to have a good week because I want to overtake that top spot if possible. And so hopefully I can go through and pick the right players and get there so I can make some money. Uh, so for my P- as far as my PPR league, I ended up winning, um, it says 123.5 to 97. I'm not sure if that was it or not. I can't really remember, but I do know going into that game, um, my, 
I had a lot of players that scored zero points. Luckily, Sam Donald showed up with like 28.5 points, and Christian McCaffrey always shows up with like 30 points. So that helped me out. But I was worried because one of my receivers um, for the Rams, Robert Woods, uh, they were playing in, the, I, think, I think, the Monday night game, and all of a sudden, no, the Sunday night game, and right before game time, he announced that he's not playing for personal reasons. They don't know when he'll be back. So I don't know if I can trust him playing this week because they said he should be back, but they're not positive, and I'm still waiting to see what happens. I have not watched the news. I have not watched ESPN today. I have not looked at my fantasy stuff today, so I have no idea where he stands on that. Hopefully he'll be back because I need him this week. Um, That's the last week before the playoffs, and I prefer to get a win to get a higher seed. So we'll see how it goes. I think I'm in decent position with my team. No, my team is not a bunch of superstars besides McCaffrey, but they've been pretty consistent overall. Um, And I think that a lot of them have easier schedules uh, for this last part of the season for playoffs, which is how I tried to do it. Um, so that my players could score points late um, against lesser competition. And um, I think that I'm sitting in a pretty good position um, overall as far as that. So look forward to it. So win that, if I can win this playoffs, I said, that's like two grand for the prize. So that'll help with the Christmas shopping for sure. (laughs) So uh, that's all we got for the sports segment. I'm sure that, um, we'll be hearing more soon about it. Once again, good luck, HC. Beat Mountain Union. Panther Pride. All right, everybody. The time has come. I'm here with my mother, Carrie Cummings. Hi, Mom. How you doing? Hi, Torelli. <laughs> uh, yes, she calls me Torelli. She's the only person that's allowed to call me Torelli. Well, maybe her and Tasha Cooper's mom, but it's been a while since she said that, so I'll let it slide. But uh, <laughs> no, um, mom, how you doing today? I'm doing great. It's how about good. yourself? Oh, I'm all right. I'm all right. Did you get so. haircut last night? No, not last night. It's been shaved for a little bit. Okay. Uh, I need to. I need to shave it again. So my mom's always wondering about my hair. When I'm getting a haircut? When I'm shaving my beard? She doesn't want me to be la- want me to be lazy on it, but I kind of like letting it go sometimes. But she'll remind me every time she sees me in person. Isn't that right? Not every time. Most time. Only when needed. Only when needed. Which, when you see me, you feel like it's needed most time. If so. you start to get too scraggly, then yes, I want you to have a certain look. Okay. Okay. I'm working on that. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Anyways, have my mom here, because she's probably going to say some other things, like, Troy, you need to do this, this, or that. I'm just playing. No, you won't. But, you know, you are, you know, you come a long way in life from, from growing up and everything. So, you know, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Natchez, Mississippi, which is in extreme southwest Mississippi. Okay, okay. And right on the Mississippi River. Yeah, and how would you say your living situation was or living circumstances? I would say that I had a happy childhood, but we were a poor family, Mm -hmm. a poor working class family. And everybody knew everybody in my neighborhood, so that was a good thing. So there was a lot of... uh, community connected connectivity there right but uh life life was good and and the other thing about uh, when i say growing up poor um you don't necessarily think about it at the time mm-hmm. because it was it was just the way of life and as long as you had food to eat and the roof over your head right. you were pretty much you're pretty much good and so every day we were outdoor kids so 
hey, you get up, you take care of things in the morning, you go outside to play right. until the temperature gets too hot, and then you got to have enough common sense to come in so you don't stroke out. I got you. I got you. So I guess you're looking at it, you wouldn't really look at it as, as a detriment. You know, you're growing up oh, no. poor or whatever. But, you know, obviously, you didn't know anybody. You're just growing up. You're living, living how you're living. Right? You know, as you get older, you, you realize things uh, from a different perspective than when you were a little kid. Mm -hmm. But, uh, no, I don't have any regrets about it. I think it helped to uh, shape my character mm -hmm. uh, because it taught me that uh, despite your circumstances, nobody owes you anything. So, for example, I grew up in a single-parent home, mm -hmm. raised by my mother with the assistance of my grandparents. And uh, we were taught to be mannerable. Don't put your hands on things that don't belong to you, which means you don't steal. Right. Uh, we went to church. We went to Sunday school, uh, the, the whole nine yards. So we, uh, while it was up to everybody to, to choose Christianity for themselves, we were exposed to, uh, to Christian teaching. Mm -hmm. And I never had a reason to think that my circumstances would always be as they were from you know, childhood up. But yeah, when, you, when you're little, uh, as I said, all you're thinking about is, am I, am I provided for? And so you don't really think about your poor or that your family is struggling unless one day there's nothing to eat. Right. And then somebody has to take something to the pawn shop. In our case, it was the Polaroid camera. Right. Take that to the pawn shop and you get like 10 bucks. That's enough to buy food until, you know, the paycheck comes in. Right. And so, uh, so we, we did that. But yeah, I think all of those things uh, helped me to know that the struggles that you have in life are for a purpose mm -hmm. and they do help you to uh, develop character. They help you to be able to easily distinguish between needs and wants as you get older. Right. Um, but as I said, once you, as you go into your teen years, then you start to have a few more needs than when you were younger, perhaps mm -hmm. because you're involved in activities and you want to uh, be similar to other kids. But in my situation, most of the kids were in the same situation, right. same, same kind of scenario. So it all, it all worked out. Mm -hmm. I got you. Did you, I guess, did you have goals as a kid or as you got older? Like, were there certain oh, yeah. goals you wanted or do you remember some of those goals that you, that you had set for yourself or? Uh, my goal as it related to school was always to be an A student. So I was always a serious student. Mm. Not that it took over my life or anything, but I knew that I wanted to go to college one day and we didn't have the funds to pay for college. So the best way to get there was to get good grades, to always be in, in that top group of students mm -hmm. so that potentially I would be eligible for scholarships. Right. Uh, so that was definitely a goal because in order to better myself financially uh, and to have a, a, a different life going forward, then education was going to have to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. So definitely to, to be a good student, to eventually go to college, uh, Played around with a lot of different scenarios in terms of what I would major in when I got to college. Right. Uh, so you know how that went. But yeah, definitely had some goals that related to improving myself right now, but yet improving myself into the future so that eventually, hopefully, I would become a parent and be able to pass some of that on to my kids. Okay. So I guess, was it just your circumstances? Was that the main thing that really drove you to try to meet your goals? Like your circumstances wanted to get out of, circumstances, get out of your situation? Or was it something else driving you towards those goals or were you someone that was just goal oriented and you well, set goals and you just try to achieve what you what you 
Self was probably was a part of it, but also um, the the adults in in our home. You know, my mom, my grandparents, they always wanted us to have a better life than they did, mm-hmm. and so they encouraged us to 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 do well, to mm-hmm. do your homework, to don't try, don't just try to get by because you can. Uh, so I think having people at home who were telling you, hey, you can be anything you want to be, but you have to put your mind to it. Right. Don't be lazy. Then that helped, and then having good teachers. I attended school during the segregation era in Mississippi. So uh, until midway through sixth grade, I attended a school that was all black because blacks attended the black schools and whites attended the white schools. Mm -hmm. And until midway through sixth grade, that's when integration happened. And uh, and we kind of relocated at that point in terms of of co-mingling. But there were always teachers who encourage students who pushed you who made sure that you were getting everything you needed to be competitive and you know that was that was a big blessing was that a, was that a weird situation when that happened the desegregation piece yeah, the um, yeah it, it, it was different it was different because the atmosphere was pretty charged mm-hmm. so for a while there you know there would be fights on a regular basis on the playground over you know the swings, you know, mm-hmm. go figure uh, over anything. But in other ways, it wasn't overly traumatic because even though we went to different schools, we still interacted across racial lines. Right. So the kids who lived right across the back fence who were white, they would come over on the other side to play, Okay. especially the boys. The girls, not so much, but the guys came over on a regular basis to play football or whatever was going on. Okay. So, so we we interacted are, they're, they're and we, and we with yeah, the with the kids place. in our neighborhood. But then we, when it was time to go to school, we all went off in separate directions. Right. Yep. Gotcha. Gotcha. I'm trying to think. Well, do you think the education, like once that happened, you think that it was good or bad for your education? Overall, overall, I'd say it has some positives because the the resources. I'm going to say this, and I'm going to backtrack a little bit. The resources were better mm-hmm. in the sense that there were some things that we did not have. But I will say, from a practical perspective, uh, when I first started attending uh, what had been a, an all white uh, uh, school, we were still segregated because. We were under the same roof, but all of the black students were in classes together and all of the white students were in classes together. Mm -hmm. And the white students who were in class with blacks were those who were viewed as lower performers. And this is just my my perception of it as a a kid living through it. Mm -hmm. They were the, the, the fringe, the kids on the fringe who were in classes with blacks. All of the black students were primarily taught by black teachers. Right. So even though they there was the umbrella of being integrated, you maybe now the books are the same because you're all in the same building. So that's what I mean when I say the resources right. were improved, but the the racial divide was still there. That, that was really more my question. Like the racial divide you know, was still like, there. Was it, was it still there? Were you still taught black teachers, or did you get taught by white teachers going forward? I, I figured the resources were probably better overall. As far over as that, over but... and over time. Uh, desegregation and integration really did start to take hold where, mm-hmm. you know, you did have more of a mix of students in classes and you had students who, you know, were taught by uh, teachers that they had not been taught by before. Right, right. But, you know, that, that kind of thing takes time because you're looking at a mindset that had existed for a really long time mm-hmm. and it was not going to change overnight. Right, right.
Okay, looking into, like I said, as you move forward, going into high school and everything. I, actually, when you're in high school, what jobs do you have in high school? Because, you know, like, <laughs> you, with me, and you guys said, if you, want, if you want to have your own money, you need to go work. So, you know, dad was always major Taco Bell, so that's I started working Taco Bell. I don't know if that's where I wanted to work, but at some point in time, I don't know if he, he said, you're working Taco Bell, or you need to go work Taco Bell, but I ended up working Taco Bell, so... There was no Taco Bell in my hometown when I was growing up. Right. Well, I figured that. But I did. I did have two jobs uh, in high school. Uh, I worked at the the theater, mm-hmm. movie theater, the Clark Theater. It's no longer in existence. Right. But I worked there in the concession stand. And I also worked at Wendy's when Wendy's first opened in my hometown. Mm-hmm. So I worked at Wendy's. So were you like cashier? Were you flipping burgers? I was, I was making, I was putting the food together. Okay. I was putting the food together. I did not want to be the cashier. I didn't want to be on the front line cashier. See, I'd rather put the food together. Everybody, like, I don't want to talk about it like that. No one would be cashier. I'm like, or no one would cashier in the drive-thru. I'm like, I'll do it. Like, I don't want to make the food. I'll happy. I'll be happy to take food, hand it out to people, and exchange money. And I was a it. shy person, an introvert. I still am. You yeah. don't think I am, but I was an introvert. And so it was easier for me to, to interact with the food right. than to interact with the public. <laughs> I got you. Because the public, they can... Make your skin crawl at times. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I can see that. Plus, it was a different time back then than it, what it is it now. Was. So, I can see where he's like, I just want to keep myself, do my job, get my paycheck, and leave. <laughs> it worked out. Right. I got I got some job some job experience, mm-hmm. so, some work experience. So it was good. Okay, so I guess in I guess what was your what was your thought process about? You know, I know you wanted to go to college, mm-hmm. but were there different? What kind of what were your different choices as far as schools that you were thinking about? Or was um, it really the ones that were going to try to give you the most money? It it came down to the one who was going to give me the most money where I could get out of college without owing anybody anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I looked at several schools, in particular uh, Alcorn State University, Go Braves, where I <laughs> became uh, a student. Mm-hmm. Also, the University of Southern Mississippi and Millsaps College. Okay. And they were they were very different. Millsaps is the pri- small private school. Mm-hmm. Um, University of Southern Mississippi in oh, Hattiesburg cool. State School. Applied to to all of them, had friends who were accepted into Millsaps who was really trying to recruit me there. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I selected Alcorn because they did offer the best financial aid package. Mm-hmm. And this is this is a scenario too where uh, being quote um, not affluent right. <laughs> or being poor made a difference because it allowed me to qualify for some financial aid that I otherwise would not have. Mm-hmm. And so uh, going to Alcorn. I didn't have any reservations about going there, even though at that time it was more than just a predominantly black school. I would say when I started there back in the mid 1970s, mm-hmm. you know, it was pretty much an all black university. But I had people <coughs> who had me. gone there, who had graduated, who were successful uh, in their different careers. So as a good student, I always felt like I will do well wherever I go. I can be successful. And to be able to go through four years of college there and come out with no student loan debt, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that was that was more appealing. Otherwise, I would have gone ahead to Millsaps, but I would have come out with the debt, and I decided to go the debt-free route. Right. I got you. Okay, so you got there. What were you, I guess I know you're a poli sci major. What were your thought? What was your thought process as far as becoming a poli sci major? I messed that up bad. <laughs> okay. Um, I knew going in, I had this idea that I wanted to be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And if I had gotten different counseling advice before starting college and even after I got in, 
I would have selected a different major. Mm -hmm. So in back in the day, it was just automatically assumed if you want to go to law school, then you major in political science. Right. And and that was the that was the thinking. Is that tough though? Because with that, unless you be a, a teacher going to politics, you're not going to go to use it. And that's why I said that was not a good a good decision on my part. But I didn't know it at the time. Right. So in my case, I went to college. I was a political science major, and I didn't go into law school immediately after undergrad. Mm -hmm. Bowling Green State University was. Uh, recruiting students and I would say they were trying to improve on diversity within the university mm -hmm. and one of my professors read a letter in class one day and he talked to me afterwards and said Carrie you should apply because it's an opportunity to get a master's degree and they are going to provide you know for your tuition there's a stipend and so it was a program already in place to where where they're going to pay for you to go and they just what they're trying to increase the diversity like more or less but you, it was an opportunity for you to take advantage of the opportunity correct that, it was so. it was an opportunity that that i mean the, it was a regular political science it was a master's of arts in political science and they were recruiting around the nation so uh yeah it was definitely something that since i'm i haven't applied and i did not apply in time to get into law school immediately so i have this year of lag time so i can get a master's degree so i went into the program and it could have taken two years, but I went year-round through mm -hmm. summer so that I could finish it up in a year. But again, to get back to the, the major, I would say if I was advising a young person now who was interested in pursuing a career in law, I would not recommend political science as a major because if you choose not to go to law school, mm -hmm. you have very limited opportunities in terms of what you can do with that. Uh, great, You have great liberal arts education, but you can sometimes struggle with how to how to really uh, move forward with that? Any major that will foster um, analytical thinking, mm -hmm. good writing skills, communication skills is a, is an appropriate major. It can be science. It can be math. Right. Because the other thing is, once you get to law school, you may decide that you don't like it, and then what are you going to do? What do you have to fall back on? <clears throat> or on the, in the alternative. You may get there in law school, may decide it doesn't like you right. because it's designed to, in weed my mind, out, right? to weed you out first year. Mm -hmm. And if that happens, what are you going to do? Right. So I would just definitely tell young people, look at other areas where <laughs> uh, you might have a passion or an interest and don't necessarily get pigeonholed into going the political science route or the pre-law route. Right. So your, your master's degree is in political science as well? Yes, right? it is. Okay. So... Did you get law school paid for as well? Did you, get, you had some student loans from law school, right? But you, but you graduated pretty high as far as your undergrad. You're like, what, student cum laude or something like that? Uh, yeah, I graduated top of my class from Alcorn. Uh, summa cum laude, I did. Yeah. And I was a decent student at Bowling Green, so I got out of there with no, with no debt. Mm. Um, because, again, now that was a big culture change to move from Mississippi to right. Ohio. Because I was wondering why, how you end up in, how you end up in Bowling Green, Toledo. I'm like, how did you end up from Mississippi up there? I know you went there, graduated. I don't think I ever asked you, you know, what brought you up there. I figured it was because it was a, it was a school where you can go to grad school program and you were able to get it paid for, and you, that's why you went. But I didn't. I assumed that. I didn't know the story. And now you know the story. So thanks to Professor Young uh, Kim from Alcorn State University who came in and read the letter from Bowling Green State University from their Department of Political Science. That's what that's what mm -hmm. brought us to Ohio. And from there, once I was in Bowling Green, I applied to law school at the University of Toledo mm -hmm. and got accepted. 
So I knew once, once graduate school was over that the following fall I would be starting, uh, starting law school. Right. So at this point in time, you know, once oh, you Oh, and in the answer, not to cut you off, but to go back. Yes, did get through Bowling Green without any student loans. But when I got to, to law school, I did not need a student loan to cover the, the tuition, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But we were very, we, your dad and I were accustomed to living on, uh, you know, pennies, so right. to speak. But you came along between graduate school and law school. Those extra. And so it's extras. easier to be, you know, to not have two pennies to rub together when you're two adults. But when the, when the child was in the picture, then, of course, we yeah. said, well, maybe we'll take a student loan just so we can improve our lifestyle enough because mm-hmm. we now have a child. Gotcha. So how's that going to law school with child? Hard as nails. Because <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm guessing you were pregnant and you had me during that time frame. So. Well, you were born the spring after I finished my, my master's program. So I finished the master's program like in, in August. Mm-hmm. And you came along in, in May. And I can still remember going to the, uh, the open house for new law students who would be coming into the fall class. Mm-hmm. And I was probably like, eight months pregnant and people were staring at me and I'm pretty sure they were thinking there's no way she'll be here when classes kick off in the fall. Right. Uh, but had a baby, you were four months old when law school started and I finished in three years, but it was the hardest three years of my life in terms of managing family and school. And that, that was a, that was a big challenge. So it took some toughness just to stick it out. How much easier do you think it would have been if you didn't have a child going through law school, it would have just it would have been markedly easier because of that, or was it the fact you had a family that made it that much harder? Um, I think it would have been a little bit easier, but there are some other factors that made it a bit more of a challenge for me. In back in the day, and I don't really keep up too much on how things operate now. When you entered law school and you were a minority, there were certain resources available to to help you to be successful, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's uh, group studies or whatever. And so I would say I was somewhat isolated because I came in, in from the perspective of someone who not only had an undergraduate degree, but a master's degree and someone who graduated not only from um, an historically black university, but also now from a predominantly white university. And I came in through the path that the regular students came in. And I know that's, that's not a politically correct way to say it, but there there was a distinction. And so all the minority students, they had a certain class together and I wasn't in that class. I was with the mainstream, all the other students. Mm -hmm. And so there were things and experiences that they had and the way that they could bond that I was somewhat of an outsider and I felt that way that I was something of an outsider. They always tried to include me, but there it's just that there were certain classes and the way the schedules went mm-hmm. that sometimes we, we were, we were separated, right. but they, they were together as a group a little bit more often. Uh, but you know, they were, they were good people and we all really got along well. And uh, there were times when we did have study sessions together, mm-hmm. but because this one class in particular, they were all together. And so my professor, I had to make sure I understood how he operated and what, you know, what the requirements were, Right. but it was all good. Again, life experiences, they all tie together. Right. No, I understand it. I understand it for sure. So went to law, yeah, obviously, all right, grad school, 
law school. You had a family at that point in time. You and Dad got married. Obviously, obviously before that. Oh yeah, we, so got, we got married, married back in nineteen seventy. Right, so, so yeah, before right out of, I graduated, yeah, before I even graduated undergrad, right, we so were married. Y'all, y'all were married. <laughs> you had me went to law school. So after law school, what was the plan? Like, what was what? What were you ideally? You what? You were going back okay. to Mississippi or? Well, or were we just trying to find a job somewhere, or what was it? Originally, when we came to Ohio, the, the idea was we were only going to be in Ohio long enough for me to get that master's, and then we were going to move uh, to the southwest to the Houston area. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then baby came along, then life kind of takes hold, and you think, okay, maybe we're going to be here for a little bit longer. Uh, so just wanted to get out of law school and and get a a decent job. Now, I knew before graduation, I knew by the end of my first year of law school that I was not going to practice law as a profession. Mm -hmm. I was not going to be working 70 or 80 hours a week to work my way up in a firm. I was not a litigator. That I knew without a doubt. Mm -hmm. But uh, I thought, okay, there has to be a way to use this education to be successful without practicing law. So what was your so specialty went, then? Oh, and, uh, there, there was no specialty was because specialty? Uh, okay. often in law school, uh, everybody comes out as a generalist. Now okay. with your with your uh, elective courses, you can choose to take specific courses. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are certainly areas that I uh, that I preferred over others, and contract law area was, was one of those mm-hmm. um, in related commercial areas. But no... I knew I wasn't going to practice law, so then I had to, to strategize on what am I going to do with this. And after law school, for a little bit, just for a really short period of time, just to you know, make sure some money was coming in for a little bit, uh, I continued to work for one of my uh, former mentors at Bowling Green mm-hmm. in the graduate college. But I applied to what was in Mead Data Central, mm-hmm. and I was interested in learning more about the company because the position that I applied for was not one that I wanted. It was a, an account executive position, mm-hmm. but I needed to get in the door and find out what it was about. So I applied and kind of went from there. So you, you started out as an account executive there. I did not start as an account executive. Was, I came was, to interview for an account executive position. You just learned about the, what was there. And, then and in the same. process of that conversation with the recruiter, then he said, you know what? He says, um, he said, I have something else that might be of interest. And he started to describe what was then called the design analyst position at mm-hmm. LexisNexis. Did you like let him know that you're not really interested in the kind of executive? Or was it just from, like, did you try to spin the conversation when you're talking with him? Or how did that work out? Or did he just, from your background after speaking with you, he's like, there might be a better position more suited for your skill set? I think it was the latter. Because I was definitely open to, to taking the account executive position, but... We did get into the conversation of what other opportunities are available. And because I had a legal background, mm-hmm. that was a big deal for them, it, not only for the account executives, but also for individuals who could be analytical and could do the work that they needed to do to release products and solutions that would be uh, marketable to law firms. Mm-hmm. And so when we started to talk about some of the other opportunities, especially the design analysts, that really resonated with me, and I think he picked up on that, and I was flown back in for other interviews and offered the job and mm-hmm. worked there for 21 years. <laughs> so when you, when you got in that, once you got in this position, you started working in that, well, I'll keep calling LexisNexis, that's why I know that, Media Central. That's fine. Um, did you have, like, when you're in there, did you have goals when you're in there? Like, were there positions that you wanted to, that you knew you wanted to go for, but you just knew you had to 
bide your time, basically, and gain the experience in order to get them? Or was it just kind of like you just did your work and then you saw something come up and went forward or someone's like, hey, you'd be good for this position. Maybe you should go forward or have that work out. Well, I like the product area. When I started off as a design analyst, I would say that's probably considered more uh, production operations. Um, and I knew I wanted to move into the, the product development area. Mm-hmm. So the work that I did was eventually reclassified and moved to the product area. And from there, my goal was to become a product manager. Mm-hmm. So to move from design analyst where I'm hands-on looking at the data, making decisions about how to parse this data so that it it goes out uh, into by topical area. So this is the bankruptcy collection or this is the uh, employment law collection. Moved away from that hands-on data analysis that required that legal background to be able to parse that data mm-hmm. to become a product manager where you actually are responsible for a particular line of business in the company and you do get more interaction with salespeople, with uh, the external clients who are going to use the data, whether it's attorneys, whether it's librarians. And then to, and there was a progression uh, of positions that I wanted to w- go up that chain. Mm-hmm. And so I got a good start right. and was able to do that. Okay. But eventually, you know, over time, as you mentioned, we moved from being me data central to right. uh, to LexisNexis. So you feel like working LexisNexis pretty much, I mean, you worked for 21 years, so it shaped your professional life, right? So it kind of shaped the direction you were going in. And you all, do you think you would retire from there? Uh, for a while, I thought I might retire from there. But it's one of those things where it was a very good career. I have no regrets about it. Loved it. Uh, a lot of respect for uh, for the company and the work that was done there and for the people there. Still have some friends who are mm-hmm. who are still there. Uh, still get together with friends who we all work together and are, have now all gone in different directions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was a very positive experience. I don't have any regrets about that. But there did come a point where I knew that I probably would not retire from there because as, you know, as businesses transition, then you look at the new dynamic and see, okay, is this the place for me forever? And so I knew there would be a time when I would leave. And I was probably there a little bit longer than I should have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once I did, uh, once I did leave, there's, as we used to say, there's life outside of those walls, no matter where you are and what career you're in, there's always life outside of those walls, but you got to be able to, um, you have to be willing to kind of stretch and maybe do something that pulls you out of your comfort zone. So I moved to a different career that allowed has allowed me to use the professional skills that I developed while mm-hmm. working at Lexus, but it is very different in a in a lot of ways. Right. Some of it's the same in terms of relationship building, but mm-hmm. other aspects are very different. Then uh, definitely, I know the, the career change you had. Were we able to say the career the career change or field that you're in now, as far as that or. Uh, repeat your question, please. Are we able to say that you're? Are we able to say the career field that you're in right now, as far as that? Oh, I'm in the financial services industry. Right. So, from what you were doing, from what you went to school for, what you're in Lexus Nexus, this is pretty. It's a pretty serious like career move, like pivot <laughs> from, from it's, what it's, you were. It's, a, it's been before. a big shift. It's very much so, a, quite a shift. Quite a shift. Mm-hmm. Uh, financial services is one of the most highly regulated industries uh, around. Mm-hmm. Uh, so granted, you know, on the legal side, passing the bar was, was a challenge, but I'd gone through three years of law school. Mm-hmm. 
when I came to financial services, I had to basically start to learn everything from scratch without the benefit of sitting in a whole lot of classes and being prepared to take all of the licensing exams and, and do that successfully was probably one of the most difficult things that I've ever done. But, mm -hmm. you know, I was all in and committed to it and uh, was able to move forward and, and get it done. And so here I am. So how is that? <laughs> how is that? Because you, you say you're more of an introvert. How's it in that field? But you're more of an introvert because, you know, it really is. Like I said, it, that's like that's about relationship building as well. And having a kind of cold call, cold knock, whatever you want to call it, to, you know, get uh, get your name out there, basically. I'm, I'm thinking, how am I going to respond to that? Because it, it definitely is uh, an area where you have to be able to interact with people and not just interact with them, but be a good listener, understand what it is that they need and how you can best uh, serve them. How can you give them the best opportunity to, to move forward, mm -hmm. to achieve their goals? So their goal is the, is the priority. So the relationship building skills from the previous life helps in that regard because whether it was my uh, you know, bankruptcy product line clients that I was trying to understand what is it that this law firm needs its associates to be able to do in order to serve their external clients who have real needs that must be met. So it's that same kind of uh, analogy with individuals from the financial perspective. You have to really sit down and be a good listener and ask the questions to draw out what is their need. That part I can do because it's, it's very one-on-one. -on -one -on -one. But the next aspect that for me as an introvert that has been more of a challenge is ultimately this is a sales function. Mm -hmm. And you have to ask for the business. Right. And so that part, I still push myself every day to make sure that uh, I am respectful of people, listen to them, and can ask for the business in a way that I'm not just trying to sell them something, mm -hmm. but helping them to understand based on what you have identified as your goals and objectives, here's what we can do to, uh, to assist you to, to meet that goal. Gotcha. No, I you know, I I know, like I said, I know it was a it was a career change, it was different, you know. Obviously it's bring different skills to the table. Like I said, I don't even mention me an introvert or whatever. So I know in that field you have to kinda of put yourself out there. You and do, <laughs> and, and, and putting yourself out there can be going door to door. Mm -hmm. Because I, I've done that before and that was cold calling at its absolute right. <laughs> worst, depending on how you want to look at it. But that said something about me that I wasn't a quitter. It was a requirement to go out and introduce yourself to people. So went into the neighborhoods, made sure I knew what the ordinances were so that I didn't get stopped by the local police mm -hmm. for soliciting, but would go door to door and knock and introduce myself and engage people in a conversation if they were willing to engage right. and move on to the next one. Uh, I didn't like that, and I knew I would not do that long term, so right. was able to transition away from that. But. Yeah, no, that's good. Now I know with me, I'm I'm not really I'm not a salesperson either. I'm probably better at relationship building, mm -hmm. as far as that. If I was uh, when I was in sales, that's kind of what it was. I kind of utilized the customer service side and the relationship building side in order to gain trust and gain belief. And then whenever they have questions, make sure that I answer them promptly mm -hmm. and correctly, so they had the belief in me. And that's how I was able to grow business that way. So I'm not really like a sales guy. I don't think I can 
go through and talk to someone and buying something just for the fact that I'm talking to them. That's just not me. Not my style of doing it. I do, I have plenty of friends that can do it. Mm-hmm. They can go through, read a situation, read a room, and then boom, they'll have everybody believing with you know the words that they say. That's just not my style. That, that's a natural gift for right. some for some people. It's a natural gift. I'm I'm not quite charismatic like that. So, but, but I know that about myself. So I know that if I, I previous job had a we partner up on different projects, one person, uh, David, he would go and he would give the big presentation to the room and do the room. But I could go to the different groups of people and talk to them while I was going on and build a relationship that way. That was just how it worked out. Mm-hmm. We had a good tandem that way. Like I can do presentations like that. But I know I'm probably not the most charismatic person to do the presentation like that to get everybody believing in whatever they need. I'm more of like a small group person mm-hmm. and make something happen that way. So I don't know. It's just the. And there's nothing wrong with that. And that's one of the things that I, you know, I'm pleased that I have gotten support to say you have to be the person that you are. You can't try and be somebody else no matter what career you're in, but definitely not in financial services. I don't think you, I can't turn myself in a type into a type A you know, over the top, aggressive type personality because that's not me. And mm-hmm. that would come across that, oh, she's trying to do and be something that she's not. So I have to look at what are my strengths and and work work from that and also acknowledge my weaknesses. And I'm always trying to improve on those things that I feel uh, are still a challenge. Right. Still growing, always growing. And that can be hard to do, to acknowledge your weakness and be like, all right, this is what I'm not good at. This is what I need to ultimately work on. But, you know, these are my strengths, and you know, bring those to the forefront, but, you know. But I think it kind of goes back to uh, the, the character building that I mentioned that we started with very, at the very beginning of this conversation, mm-hmm. that over time, all of these things work together to, to improve you as a person, to give you more confidence as a person in terms of, uh, you know, I can do this. I may do it differently from somebody else, but, you know, that's what makes life great is that we're not all a bunch of clones, but everybody, you know, approaches things from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. And even for those times when I have, as I said, messed something up, made a mistake, you know, I'm very thankful that the Lord has always used those situations, that they worked out in my favor and often in a way that was better than I ever anticipated. Mm-hmm. And so I, I always cling to that because God, he's always up to something and he always has a plan. Yeah, that's good because everybody's always scared about making those mistakes. That's going to be like the big mistake for their career or whatever. So, But, but, but you, can't, you can't do that. Though. That's, you can't a, that's a part that of way. life. I mean, you, sometimes you're not going to get it exactly right, but you're going to learn something from every single experience that's going to make you better as you move forward. Mm-hmm. That's, and that's the beauty of, of trying different things, right. of trying different things. That's why I'm trying this podcast. So, and I really <laughs> applaud you for trying it and how I let you talk me into this. But it's because I'm your son and you love me. Okay, you hit it on and, the head. And you'll do anything to help me out. I will, <laughs> except let you win. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you won't. You don't let me win at stuff. And Caden's learning that I don't really let him win at stuff either. So <laughs> that's so that you wouldn't expect that life would be so easy that you could just run out there and do everything, and and there's never going to be any pushback. Because if I just let you in, it would come too easy. You mm-hmm. have to work for things. Because then you have some skin in the game and you appreciate it more when you have success. Right. And then when you are not as successful, you can sit back and look at it you know, from an objective mindset and make decisions on how to move forward, how to right. use it. And I do think I think that way. I think I think very logically and objectively like that. Now, sometimes I may, I may have made choices in the past where it's like, all right, here's my choice. 
or whatever. Am I willing to deal with these consequences? Yes or no? Whether it's good or bad? Yes. Sure. Go. I'm not sure you're like shaking in like, why'd you do that? But you're willing to let me do it. Let me fall on the face. Let, let you do it. Sometimes I think as parents, we have to allow our kids to go ahead and step into the pit. So long as we know that stepping into the pit isn't going to eternally uh, brutalize you or damage you or... You, cause you some permanent injury. Mm -hmm. But sometimes the best lesson is to let life go ahead and slap you around a little bit. Because as young people, and I don't care what generation it is, you always think you know more than your parents. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the best thing a parent can do is, you know, let you go ahead and fall on your face and be there to help pick you up and dust you off and push you back out there. Yeah. No, I was talking with someone like, you know, growing up, I thought my parents were so strict, had so many rules, blah, 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 whatever else. I look back at it and I was like, it really wasn't that bad. That's probably what I made it. Oh, <laughs> um, I feel so good. Have you yeah, said that? Yeah, I know. I know. It's, I feel terrible saying it. But I look back and it's really <laughs> true. Like, I didn't, yes, I had rules and guidelines stay in place, but it's like, ah. It could have been way worse. You, you probably didn't appreciate it as much then as you do now as an adult when you are a parent. Right. And one day you're going to experience some of the same things I that know. we did. The, I know. The, the stresses, because your child may be the one who's saying, okay, what should I do? Should I call home and ask permission to stay out just this one more hour? Or should I take the chance that I can stay out, they'll be asleep, I can get that door open <laughs> and close it and get into my room and not wake anybody up? And you were the person who was going to try the ladder move and... Even though I never woke up because I'd pray for you and go to bed and I didn't wake up, dad but your dad up woke up every right. time. He didn't He didn't get up. Right. He just looked at the clock and he knew what time you came in. So it wasn't like he was going to get up and say anything. But I just know he's he's laughing. I'm sure he's laughing over there right now because he, he walked in the house earlier and he can't wait for Caden to get older and Copen to get older to um, to see to see what happens next, to see my reactions to when... They're testing my patience. So I know he's laughing. I'll show you. We, we have complete confidence in you because we believe that you've been raised well and uh, you remember the things that you were taught and the importance of it. And so we have great confidence in you and Elena as parents. So we don't, yeah. wor we don't worry about our grandchildren. Wow. We appreciate it. Thank you for being good guides. Thank you for doing this interview. I definitely appreciate it. My listeners, I don't know how many there are, maybe like two or three of you out there. But if there's more, um, we all thank you for sure and um, bring a little knowledge to the table as far as your path and how you've gotten there. And, you know, it's definitely interesting. And, you know, um, like I said, I, I in, enjoy hearing about the path. I know it wasn't always the easiest, but you are here, you've pulled through, and you're a great example to a lot of people out there that maybe have difficult situations and you can still pull through it. But you have to believe in yourself and have a positive and, attitude yeah. and. And Don't let anybody tell you what you can't do. Be willing to work hard. So, mm -hmm. thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks, mom. You're welcome, son. <laughs> I love you. All right, I love you too. <laughs>
and the fact that everybody wants to treat them like, oh, they're amateur athletes, blah, 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 blah. But no one's scared to go cuss out an 18, 19 year old kid because they did something to have your team lose or they didn't play as well or they lost to a good team. Case in point, Penn State quarterback Sean Clifford is still getting death threats after Penn State lost to Minnesota a couple weeks back. All these keyboard warriors are out here saying all these things to this 20-year-old kid. He is a kid. Like, get real. Get over it. It's good to be a fan of a team, but it's not life. For real. Lay off the kids. I don't understand people like that. It's probably why I'll never be a diehard, diehard fan. It's not going to rule my life. I'm a Michigan fan. I'll always be a Michigan fan. I'm raising my kids to be Michigan fans, but I'm not going to ever hurl a death threat at a kid because of that. Can I say they didn't do some, do some things to be better? Like, yeah, I think Shea Patterson could be better at quarterback for sure. And I might say that someone else like, uh, um, like Dylan McCaffrey should be a starter. Yeah. Cause it's just going from the eye test when I think who could be better, but I'm not ever going to throw a death threat at him. That's absolutely crazy. And people that do that either they're just talking out the side of their necks which is usually the case. If they're saying next to Sean Clifford, they would never say it to his face because the dude's like 6'4 and 230-some pounds. So odds are they're not going to have the guts to say something like that to someone's face and do that. So I don't know. That's just my thoughts on that. Fans, quit being stupid. Quit being crazy. Especially these college athletes. They're just kids. Lay off of them. But I know that'll never happen. I know that people are always going to say what they want. Go, oh, it's free speech. I can say what I want, blah, 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 whatever else. Yeah, you do it. And it's social media, so you definitely have the balls to say whatever you want because you don't ever think you're going to get called out on it. And you should all the time. And it's terrible. And people do death threats. They're just bad people. And it's unfortunate to see. You know, Sean Clifford said he just deleted his uh, social media because he just didn't want to deal with it anymore. And he shouldn't have to. Like I said, he's a kid, but people are, are are supposed fans. I'm throwing air quotes up there of their teams, and they'll do anything for their teams, including berate and degrade players on that team for various reasons. Not the first time it'll happen. Not the last time it'll happen. Unfortunately, with more and more social media out there, you're just going to see it more often because everybody are keyboard warriors and couch coaches and they feel like they can say whatever they want without any kind of consequence. And that's unfortunate. And another unfortunate fan incident happened previously between an Alabama fan, and LSU fan, um, James, Michael Roland, I guess Mikey Merritt was shot with a pistol by 31 year old David Allen Fulkerson, an Alabama fan. So Merritt's an LSU fan. Fulkerson's an Alabama fan. I guess after spending the week on life support, Merritt died last Friday um, after the family decided to go ahead and pull the plug on his life support. The Colbert County Sheriff, Frank Williamson, said they've been drawing back and forth uh, at each other during the game. They said alcohol probably played a part in it. Um, ultimately, Fulkerson had said something, um, had said some, some kind of expletive towards a player, and... No, Merritt said something, some kind of expert towards player. Fulkerson thought he was saying it towards him, pulled out his pistol, and ended up shooting him. 
they he tried to say or his lawyers tried to say that uh, the shoes in self-defense where he had suffered or folks suffered a black eye. However, one of the witnesses told authorities that she watched Fulkerson hit himself in the face. So it's one thing he took a gun out, he shot a guy, and then allegedly, you know, based on his witness, said that uh, they say he punched himself in the face to give himself a black eye to make like he got into a fight. When when it's looking like he really just pulled out his pistol and shot the dude uh, for basically talking mess about his team. Once again, fandom absolutely craziness this dude is now because the person passed away he was um going to jail for attempted murder going to trial for attempted murder now it's gonna be for murder in the first degree so i mean why'd you do something like that it's only a game like why are you taking it so seriously absolutely mind-boggling to me that people do stuff like this absolutely crazy and i know everybody's gonna be good on the high horses about their gun laws and blah 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 whatever else regardless there's not a reason for you to shoot somebody over a football game. Absolute craziness. And the other part is, think about this. Fulkerson and Merritt, both of their girlfriends are sisters. They family broke out at Fulkerson's residence. So the sisters knew each other. I don't know if the guys didn't like each other in the first place or if they got along in general or whatever. Either way, they're in the same place in the same area. I need to say, I wonder what's going to happen now because... Is one girl is one sister gonna be mad at the other because her boyfriend killed her killed her boyfriend? How's that gonna work? You know, there's a lot that goes on with this. I don't know what's gonna happen next. I'll be interested to see. It's unfortunate. It's sad. I know. I'm just kind of talking faster now because I just can't believe that something like this would actually happen. And well, I say I can't believe it, but I actually can. It doesn't surprise me. Something like this actually happened, but it's unfortunate that we live in a society where someone's gonna shoot someone else over a football game. Like, for real, y'all, check your fandom at the door. It's not that important. It's not that cool. And it's just not worth it. It's not worth it. I'm a diehard fan, but there's some things that I will just not do because I'm supporting my team. So if you want to call me a Fairweather fan as far as that, I don't care. Do what you want. Think what you want. It's how I am. I'm a Michigan fan, but I'm not shooting anybody over it. I'm not sending anybody death threats over it. It's just not worth it in my eyes. It shouldn't be worth it in yours either. All right, like I said, this segment is going to be more for my people on uh, in Dayton, Ohio. Um, looks like GM is opening a new $1.75 million D-Max plant facility in Brookville, Ohio, which is uh, just northwest of Dayton. Um, GM purchased almost 75 acres of land in Brookville and Clay Township for 2.9, basically almost $3 million. The construction on it has already begun. The new plant will have more than 100 employees when construction is complete by the end of 2020. Um, the new plant will operate in step with the original D-Max plant that's in Moraine, uh, sending established machine engine components to their facility. And then once they finish those diesel engines, those diesel engines will go to the GM Flint facility uh, where the engines will be built into the new Chevy Silverados and GMC Sierra heavy-duty trucks. Um, D-Max and Moraine will continue to have over 800 workers. 
And ultimately, the Montgomery County Commissioner Carolyn Rice said that the new plant enjoys strong support for a new $400,000 county development grant called an EDG, EDGE or an EDGE grant or Economic Development Government Equity Grant. So I said, let's put it out there just because when I know when I was growing up in West Carrollton and close to Moraine, there was the the GM uh, truck and bus plant. A lot of my friends, family and parents worked at that plant and ultimately that plant closed down. I believe it was early 2000s when that happened. And it really kind of kind of, kind of sucked the economic life out of West Carrollton. And so a lot of friends and family worked at that plant. And so... And the, to basically, they were moving the plants to facilities outside of the country. Um, and also the economic downturn at the time as well. But I know that this particular plant, I heard that they were moving it to move one to Mexico. I'm not sure if it's the same plant or not. But they decided not to go that route. And they're bringing one back here to, to Dayton. So it's good to see. It's good to hear. You know, hopefully it's a start of more of those jobs coming back to the states and um and hopefully you can keep it coming and keep it going and like i said i was glad to bring in a facility like that back to dayton you know dayton definitely needs something like that and needs more of it if possible so that's my little tidbit on that i know it's kind of unexpected but like i said kind of uh gm having a plant and bringing it back to dayton you know kind of reminds me of the childhood a little bit and the families that were affected when it did leave. So I am glad that they are, that they are doing this and I look forward to seeing, you know, what happens going forward with it. So. All right, everybody. It's our favorite segment. Relax and take notes. And we're doing this for my car right now. I'm trying to finish up the, the segment for the podcast. But right now we're going to talk about the Miles Garrett and Mason Rudolph incident that took place last week. Uh, Miles Garrett is indefinitely suspended by the NFL. He did appeal the suspension, but they were upheld. Uh, Mason Rudolph at the time was not suspended at all. They said he would be fine. Looks like he is still going to be fine, but I'm not sure about the amount. Um, ultimately, Miles Garrett said that Mason Rudolph said some type of racial slur to him and... You know, it's just interesting because he never said that to anybody else before. Uh, never said anything about that to his teammates previously, like right after the game. So not saying it didn't happen, but there's just no proof of it happening. Mason Rudolph vehemently denies that he said anything racially um, insensitive to Miles Garrett. And he told his teammates this. His teammates like Cam Jordan have come to his defense saying that, you know, talked with Mason about it. And he said he didn't do it, so I believe him. And Miles Garrett's teammates are basically saying, you know, no, we haven't heard anything about this, but, you know, we don't see Miles Garrett's type of person that's just going to make this up if someone said, you know, some kind of racially insensitive, uh, something racially insensitive to him. He's not just going to make something like that up, just get himself out of a situation. So it's kind of tough. It's a he said, he said type situation. I don't really know who to believe. You know, Miles Garrett, you would think that if it did happen like that, he would have told somebody that it happened and um, not just kept it to himself. But you never know. You never know what his thought process really was and everything. And he was trying to bring everything to the table uh, to try to get out of the suspension. I'm not sure. But, you know, Miles Garrett does seem like a pretty down-to-earth um, 
by the book guy, you know, not really getting any kind of trouble or starting any kind of issues or anything like that. So it's just tough to, you know, he says that Rudolph said something racially insensitive to him, but Rudolph's denying it completely, and his teammates have his back. So obviously his teammates have never thought that he would say anything like that to anybody. And as of now, they don't have any reason to believe that they that he would. So it's just tough to sell. It's tough to say. I'll be interested to see kind of where this goes, see what the NFL can do to kind of investigate further. Uh, but right now, they're kind of at a standoff. It's a he said, he said type thing. And I guess let's investigate further and we'll have to see what happens. Though it's unfortunate that a situation like this has to happen in the league. It's unfortunate in general, you know, as far as the violence of it and the throwing of the helmet, you know, the fighting of it and everything. It's even worse that potentially it's a, a potential racially insensitive incident. And, you know, I just don't know what to think about it. You know, it just, it's just another racial thing potentially to divide us once again. So, you know, I don't know what to think about it. It sucks that it has to be dealt with. You know, wish it didn't happen, unfortunately. It's, it is. It's here. Um, you know, Miles Garrett definitely says he's still in the wrong. Regardless of what Mason Rudolph said to him, he should not have responded like he did. But he did, and it, it's out there now. So, you know, I don't know what to think about it. You know, I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to keep a close eye on it and see what happens and go from there. So I'm sure you guys will, too. Uh, thank you guys for coming on the po- or for listening to the podcast. I appreciate you uh, listening to my interview with my mom, um, you know, Carrie Cummings. She she is, you know, she is someone I definitely look up to. She obviously has had a, a very strong hand to make me into the person that I am. I'm glad I'm the person I am because of her and, um, you know, her and my dad, obviously. But I know she definitely had a very strong influence on, on just how I view things and how I look at things and how I approach things. So, you know, I'm, I'm definitely... Uh, Glad she decided to do the interview with me. I'm happy. I'm good to see. I'm glad to see kind of like her insight on um, on knows what she was going through in life. Life tossed her a few different, you know, a few different situations, and she's obviously handled it great. And she's come out on top. And you know, she's a great person, great mother, great, uh, great role model, and you know, great business person overall. And you know, she always she always told me to go ahead and always believe in myself. Don't let anybody cast any doubt on me. If I believe I want to do something, I can do it. She always gave me that confidence to do so. Also, me have confidence in myself, and I can thank both my parents for that. And um, I always will. I'll never stop. So, thank you again, Mom. I appreciate it. Thank you to the audience for listening. I'm glad you did. I'm sorry this came out a day late, but I want to get this interview out there with her. So, I'm glad it's out there. I'm glad you guys were able to listen to it. Um, if you have any questions? Hit me up. Send a a message link to my, um, <clears throat> excuse me, to my uh, to the podcast. I'll send a link out on social media for that. If you, want to, if you have any questions about anything, hit me up on social media. For Twitter, it's at franchise eleven twenty two. For Instagram, it's Terrell Dwayne eleven. Um, and for Facebook, you know, it's just Terrell coming. So, you know, thanks again. Listen on Spotify, Apple, Google, whatever you have. It should be out there for it. My voice is going. It's been a long day. Um, thank you again, and I look forward to talking to y'all next week for the Thanksgiving edition of Always Relevant. Talk to y'all soon. Later.